welcome one and all to Theology and Insanity, your weekly Catholic podcast on theology and sometimes the insanity that goes on. I'm Dave Van Vickle, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Dr. Mike Cirilla. Mike, how are things in Steubenville right now? Things are beautiful today. Uh, yeah. Nice weather. Yeah, it's great. How about how about in Pittsburgh? Probably yeah. similar, right? Yeah, beautiful. It was. A, we had a cold night last night. I was on my deck. I had a fire going and everything like that. It was it was nice. So, yeah, things are good. Things are good. Uh, you're in the middle of summer classes. Yep, right, right, ensconced in them. And then I got our oldest son getting married in a week, so that's exciting. Oh wow! And where yeah. where will that be? In New Jersey, which I think they've opened up from COVID, so I think we're fine to go there. Yeah. 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 Well, that's good. Good. How about you? You've got uh, different webinars going and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a lot of bunch coming up. Yeah. Check out the uh, my website, uh, the, the Catholic Truth about Angels and Demons dot com. Um, you know, uh, I have tons of stuff coming up. A lot of webinars on Catholic demonology. So, uh, yeah, feel free to check it out. And uh, I'm hoping, trying to go on retreat next week. So I'm excited about that. And we'll see. We'll see how good. it works out. So, yeah. Good, good, yeah, good. well, I, I wanted to uh, uh, talk to you today about a topic that, again, it, you know, it's one of these topics that kind of like people people think it's like elementary, <laughs> right. and it's angelology. I want to talk about angels, you know, the theology of angels. And I have a question just to start out with here for you, okay? And uh, I'm springing this on you. We didn't talk about this <laughs> beforehand. But uh, it's I, I think it, it'll be interesting to get your take Um you know, I I very much am interested in this topic, right? Uh, not just because of you know exorcism or anything like that, but just because you know I, I I think it's a kind of a forgotten part of the theology of the church. We don't really teach it very often, and I am shocked, like literally shocked, when I go back. And maybe it's because I was born in the modern world, but when I go back and look at the great theologians of the church how much was spent on angels. We never even talk about them now. People like Bonaventure, Thomas Aquinas, the fathers of the church, uh, some, some, some of the fathers solely pretty much focused on angels, right? I'm, like like they, that was the bulk of their work. Augustine, these guys spent a lot of time. In fact, in some cases, the majority of their time writing and thinking about angels. And I'm wondering what... What is that all about? I mean, yeah. what would, what happened? You know, yeah, right. What happened, and why was the? What's the motivation there? I mean, I, I have I have some guesses, but what do you think? Uh, you know, you mean what as, happened with the fathers and the medievals, or what happened since then that messed that both, made us both okay. both and yeah yeah. Well, first of all, this is probably some people are thinking of this already. Um, one of the official titles the Church gives Saint Thomas Aquinas is the Angelic Doctor, right? And they give him the title Angelic Doctor because he wrote so eloquently and made some very important contributions theologically. That means insight into what God has revealed in Scripture and tradition, uh, into what angels are, how they communicate, how they act, the fall of the the, the fall of the demons, and the angels' role in uh, the created order and salvation history, etc. So, so. Uh, um, these folks, the great saints, the fathers, the doctors, they were in, and the mystics. You know, they were they were steeped in God's word, both written and His word, the logos. You know, Jesus Christ and angels are really. Uh, I don't know. There's no there's no real adequate words to express this. Right? They're ubiquitous. They're everywhere. Angels right. are everywhere, shot throughout the created order and beyond, through the visible world and the invisible world, right? So it, they really take their cue from a deep love of God and a love of his word in scripture. And really, it's from start, you know, I had this talk with a Protestant friend uh, uh, maybe a year or so ago, or and maybe I think I've had this same kind of conversation with Protestant friends over and over. They're like, look, you say there are all these different choirs of angels and all, and that's a Dionysius, pseudo-Dionysius uh, this guy we'll talk about later, I'm sure, in this podcast. Um, but that's not scripture. And whoa, 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 no! All nine, all nine choirs of angels right. are mentioned explicitly in scripture. Angels right. are extremely important from start to finish. And in fact, you share with with friends, Protestant or otherwise, uh, the very first being in the New Testament to proclaim the gospel was not John; right. it was an angel. 
It was Gabriel who proclaimed the, the very first gospel to Our Lady when he right. announced the Annunciation, when he announced God's will, the Father's will that she would carry, uh, give birth to uh, God the Son incarnate, right? So that's why the, the Luke's, Luke's infancy narrative is called often the, the kind of the gospel infancy narrative. It's a good, new, you know. So anyway, angels are so important. If you're, if you're steeped in Scripture, you're reading it daily, you're meditating on it, praying about it, you know, you know, or you just simply believe the creed, or you're steeped in the catechism, right? I believe in God who created heaven and earth, all things visible and invisible, right? So you're going to know um, angels are really important. I, I think p- part of what happens is the modern period, starting around the time of Descartes and the Enlightenment, right? That and you know, there's a whole move towards demythologization, miracles. David Hume, the English philosopher, said miracles are not possible, and so we're going to recategorize the Gospels and the Old Testament miracle stories as fiction, as fables, as myths. And so we have to demythologize everything, demythologize everything. So angels, you know. In fact, there's a quote I give at cla- in class from. Uh, Rudolf Bultmann, a, a, a very fa- famous but not great uh, uh, Lutheran um, biblical scholar from the 20th century, and he, in his work Glauben und Verstehen, Faith and Understanding, wrote fam- uh, kind of infamously, and it's silly to, to it's silly now to hear the way he wrote, but he said, in this age of the radio, so this is 1930s, okay, <laughs> we're so advanced, right, we're so advanced, and you know, if you think about it, the radio is pretty impressive invention, anyway, sure, in this age time, of the, right? yeah, right, right, in this age of the radio, right, um, we know, unlike primitive man, or medieval man, you know, that, that there are no angels above us in the sky, and demons beneath the crust of the earth, and here we are in the middle, we know that's all a myth, right? And so I think that's what's going on. I mean, Catholics today, we do believe in angels. We don't hear about them often, but part of it, I think, Dave, is because we're just breathing in constantly a cultural atmosphere of, uh, we're embarrassed. That right. sounds primitive. We're like no, little I, kids. I we're like I stupid, you know? Do you know, what, do you know what's interesting? <laughs> it, I, I totally get it because, you know, with my kids, I, you know, when, when they ask a question, like a question that every child asks, I, I literally, I think back, well, how would they have answered this question in the medieval times, right? And, like, so, for instance, if I say to my daughter, Josie, who's six, and she says, Dad, how does the sun come up? Then I then I would say to her, well, you know, there's an angel that God put in charge of the of the sun, you well, know? Well, and, and, I'm and, glad and, you said that. Keep and, going, and, keep and, going, And yeah. you know what's funny about this is that even my son, who's 12, who's in sixth grade, when he hears this, he rolls his eyes, and I want to slap right, him across right, the right, head, right, you know, right, right. because it's like all, all at twelve years old, he's already like, "Come well, on, Dad!" You know, so he's it gets, lost that. It gets insidiously complicated, and it doesn't have to be. We can untangle this insanity, okay? Right. The complexitude it goes like this. Um, well, look, when you posit angels working with heavenly bodies or other things in the material yeah. order, then you're just giving an easy deus ex machina explanation to avoid looking into the question scientifically and providing a scientific answer. And we have, because of Galileo, Newton, all the, you know, we have all this insight into gravity and uh, nuclear fusion, which creates a star, et cetera, and yeah. that explains it completely. Well, frankly, it's not a matter of either angels or the, right, the physical course. laws. It's a both and. It's, bo- yeah. it's both and. And actually, we know this uh, from divine revelation, but that's... We'll, we'll, we'll get all get all into it, but so yeah, no. There's a bias. There's a hardcore bias against the faith. I mean, it's really and this in this aspect, it's against the uh, the faith in angels and demons and their interaction with the uh, created order, material created order, because they're created too. But the created material order. But it's funny because you know, so like a lot of the insanity that we talk about revolves around hot button issues like contraception, homosexuality, these kinds of things. But if you were to bring up like an angel in charge of the sun at right. a, let's say, a normal secularized Catholic university, those theologians would laugh you out of the, the building. Absolutely. They, I mean, not, they, or, they've gone let alone so far away from that. An them. angel right. in charge of uh, planets, gal- solar yeah, systems, galaxies, right. Uh, right. Or, 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 right. or laws of nature like yeah. gravity, et cetera. No, you're, you're absolutely right. So I think... Now I have some some criticisms, but largely I think C.S. Lewis has been genius in in his 
We already talked about the space trilogy. Have you read his space trilogy? So I so I've I read it. It was one of the first ones I read though. So I I can't. I mean, yeah, I read it. I think it's it, fantastic. It wasn't like life changing to me or anything, right? <laughs> it, it was really important for me, actually. Yeah, um, uh, I, I read it as one of the things that was on the way to my return to the Catholic Christian faith. Okay, okay. Um, this is like uh, the the uh, t- the names again. What, what uh, uh, the like first the volume is out of the, out of the Silent Planet, yeah, and the, right, the okay. Silent Planet is Earth, and it's silent for a specific reason. Right. Uh, I, I could talk about it in a second, and then the second is called Paralandra, which is all about yeah. Ven- Venus. Oh, it's all about Venus. Yeah. Um, and then the third is uh, that hideous strength, which is about the coming of the Antichrist. But the thing is, it's a it's it's in the kind of genre, it's quasi-science fiction. So right. this is really cool because what happens, and I don't want to give spoilers because it's so much worth, I think it's so much worth reading. I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but I'll just give you little teasers here and there, okay? But to the point that we're talking about, what's really cool, what Lewis does is in this very same milieu we're describing where we have anti, you know, divine kind of anti-angels, anti, you know, traditional Christian faith views, and they're the guys of modern scientific progress. C.S. Lewis provides a really engaging, he, he's, I think, an incredibly engaging writer. Right. So he writes this really cool page turner, like hundreds of pages, three volumes, okay, of a space trilogy. So it's like science fiction. And what he does is he brings back this notion in a way that's just so subtle you don't even realize it till you're like kind of halfway through or beyond that there are angels but he doesn't quite call them angels. He has a different term for them. But they're pure spirits that can have physical manifestations that are in charge of different planets. Right. But he, he weaves it into the narrative seamlessly so it's not self-conscious. It's not awkward. It's not like, ooh, oh, what, what's wrong with you? You're, you're a throwback to a primitive mindset. No, it's like science fiction, right? So it's right. like really cool. Um, and so he kind of imports, a, re, reestablishes a traditional Christian notion of angels uh, in, in this great piece of fiction. It's not without criticism, but it's really cool. By the way, so he 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 opines, and I, I think this is incorrect, all right, but it's still cool, a cool, you know, fictional take on it. He opines that that Lucifer was the but he doesn't use these names, okay? So you you know who he's referring to in the book, sure. but he uses different names. That this one spirit was in charge so different angelic spirits are in charge of different planets. This one spirit in charge of Earth, right? is the one who was the chief spirit who fell. Now, we know that's Lucifer, okay, but in the book there's different names. Um, But because of that, Earth is a silent planet, so it doesn't, there's not a spiritual communication between Earth and the other inhabited planets. Because for him, the solar system's inhabited by rational beings, by the way, in this this book. It's really cool. Uh, Like Mars and Venus. Uh, But those planets, their, their beings have not fallen, all right? So there's great communication, but Earth is kind of cut off and quarantined off because its principal spirit, uh, Lucifer, which again, he doesn't use that name, uh, has fallen, right? So there's right. fallen and brokenness. He, they call it being bent. Uh, yeah. Anyway, it's really cool. It's really cool. It's worth looking at. And it's sure, one way I, yeah. to kind of catechetically or evangelically, because certainly he had that as at least a side effect of what he did, to bring back angels into the currency uh, of intellectual exchange, you know, uh, right in the modern milieu. Right, you know it's uh, the. I remember asking. Uh, I had some teachers from Thomas Aquinas College in in high school, and I remember asking them this question like, "Why did Thomas spend so much time on it?" And and I was so unsatisfied with their answer because their answer was basically like, uh, "Angels are a really important topic because you get such a breadth of theology and philosophy when you discuss them that they're really a great exercise of the mind." And, and I think that that was like a way of them like saying, like, of course that's true, but it's also not the reason I don't think Thomas wrote so much about him. The reason is because they're important, like right. really important. You know, in, in uh, I was kind of reviewing last night, um, Jean Donalou, uh, you know, he, he talks about how in the, even in the Old Testament, right, the angels were basically the ministers of the covenant, you know. That they you, you proclaimed the covenant and you know reminded the people and and did all these things. We know now in in New Testament times, right in our time, that even in mass, like you know when the priest says, "Let your angel, you know, bring these gifts to heaven," you know th- these are these aren't just like throwbacks to like fairy tales. This is a real thing that we're we're always constantly 
interacting and dependent on yes. these non-corporal beings. It, it, including to this day. It's not just you know the biblical time. It's all the way through today. So I, there's this beautiful quote. Can I read it from the Catechism? Yeah, it's yeah. in paragraph 332. You made me think about this. Uh, paragraph 332, Catechism. The angels have been present since creation and throughout the history of salvation. By the way, that means including up till now and beyond till the end, okay? Announcing the salvation from afar or near and serving the accomplishment of the divine plan. They closed the earthly paradise. That's a cherub with a flaming sword, right? They protected Lot. They saved Hagar and her child. They stayed Abraham's hand, communicated the law by their ministry, led the people of God, announced births and callings, assisted the prophets, just to cite a few examples. Finally, the angel Gabriel announced the birth of the precursor, that's John the Baptist, and that of Jesus himself. Um, And then it continues, the next paragraph, 333, from the incarnation to the ascension, the life of the word incarnate is surrounded by the adoration and service of angels, etc. So so basically the entire, not just the life of the church, but the entire created material order, okay, is just, like I said, they're ubiquitous. It's suffused with angels. There are also demonic presences too, but the whole tradition is, and even in scripture, is that there are fewer angels who fell, like a third, right, in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 12, a third of the stars of the sky fell, uh, so two-thirds remained. The strong tradition, now, I don't think this is, this is not dogma, Dave, okay, but it's still extremely venerable tradition among the fathers of the church, is that the seats in heaven, the thrones that the fallen, you know this, right, that the fallen angels evacuated when they fell, are to be filled uh, by the number of the saints, um, those who get saved uh, right. and who go to heaven among the humans, okay? So when that number is filled by the end of the world, then, the, you know, when that number is filled, that's the end, okay? And and so this is important because um, we, we share in the glory of the angels, in a sense, in heaven. We have our bodies. We are bodily beings, but the bodies will be glorified, so they'll no longer be dependent upon food or sex for procreation, or uh, they'll be... Uh, you know, in a perfected state and very angelic-like in a sense. Okay. So, okay, so you mentioned that, I mean, we have a whole tradition of angels that would be little T tradition. Let's go over some of the big T tradition. Yeah, let's start there. Like, exactly. So, so, for instance, just the fact that they exist, that is de fide, a Catholic must assent to this. Absolutely. This and right. and where? So you, you can claim it, but we've got to say where, I think. I, at least for okay. me, that's my okay. theological habit of mind. Uh, first of all, it's in Scripture. Okay, from Genesis through the Apocalypse, I don't know if there's one book of the Bible that doesn't mention an angel. And Genesis, the beginning of human history and creation, and uh, the Apocalypse, the end. Okay, so they are in uh, divine, God's divine word, the Bible. Okay, secondly, the church, so for it to be de fide, the church also has to define it. Where does the church define it? The church defines it uh, arguably in her very first creed in Nicaea in 325, but that's arguable. I have one that's not arguable, but in three, the, the creed in Nicaea says, all things he created, all things visible and invisible. So, so that oh, is okay, arguably the all angelic right. order, right? That's the invisible order. That is Because uh, there are, you know, God is a spirit who's not cre- created. God was not created. But there are invisible spirits who are created, and those would be the angels. But to make it really clear, okay. But then the, the yeah, fourth Lateran Council. Exa- the four- okay. Thank you. Okay. Exactly. No, no, that's good. You got it. It's it's it, it says something about simultaneously creating the yeah. angels and the and, yeah, yeah at the time that he was creating. Right. That's it. I, I'll give you the quote. It's it's from the from the uh, Caput Fermiter. Now that's the Latin title of the creed of the Fourth Lateran Council. When a general uh, ecumenical council of the Church promulgates a creed for everybody to profess. That's a statement of faith. Now, what is faith? Faith is a response to divine revelation. God reveals, we believe, right? So when you have a universal statement of faith, then that is de fide. That's a dogma. That's an infallible statement. When the church puts that on your lips, you have to pronounce it. And here's how it goes. A profession of faith from the Fourth Lateran Council, the relevant section on angels reads like this, that God, from the beginning of time, made simultaneously, like you said, out of nothing... Both orders of creatures, the spiritual and the corporeal, that is the angelic and the earthly. And then he made the human creature who, as it were, shares in both orders being composed of spirit and body, end of quote. Which also, by the way, reminds me of Frank Sheed, uh, who who speaks so eloquently on this, and our podcast takes its name uh, from his theology and sanity. He talks wonderfully about uh, angels and humans and the material order, and humans being kind of 
in both orders. The because we have a spiritual soul, non material soul, and we have a material body. So um, okay, so at the same council, we get to the next day fide statement. I think it's the same council, fourth Lateran council, which is they're entirely spiritual. They're entirely non corporal. Yes, right. Okay, and so. Well, let's let's get into that a little bit because that that is weird. I mean, it's weird for it, people to understand. It's very weird. So, yeah. so one way to, to 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 look at it is, angels are often portrayed, and even in scripture, in some respects, they sometimes show up this way. But right, yeah, uh, as humans <laughs> or as hu- humanoid figures with wings. Okay, and but but strictly speaking, they're not they're not humans. <laughs> They are not humans. They are rational beings that are not human. They are not human. Um, now, uh, <laughs> maybe they've shown up as humanoid with wings to to perhaps um, not terrify the human beholder as much as they could have. Although right. there are times when they show up as you know spinning wheels inside of wheels with eyes all around, or beasts with multiple heads. And eyes on their bodies and wings, and so yeah, they they have a terrifying appearance. But that's but they're not bodily. So that's that's they're utilizing the material order to manifest something, to communicate to us who and we communicate through our bodies, right? Through okay, so yeah, okay, so they're not material, but they are a a will and an intellect. Is that right? Right. Or yes. Okay. Yes. So. One thing right now off the bat I want to recommend uh, Sheed, Frank Sheed's, uh, this is a different book of his, Theology for Beginners, for our readers, uh, for our listeners. Um, Theology for Beginners has an excellent chapter on spirits and angels, okay? He treats, he he distills the wisdom of Scripture and the fathers of the church and the medievals in such an accessible way. It's mind-blowing. Over the years, I use it over decades now. And I realize more and more what a gift Frank Sheed was uh, in what he did. So look, um, <clears throat> yeah, they're an intellect and a will, but let's back up a little bit. Uh, if, if a spirit is not material, right, it's real, but it's not material. Um, we, we, the word spirit comes from, you know, like respiration. It's the same root. It's like breath. Breath, you blow on your hand, you can feel it but it, you can't see it. So angels are, are, you can't see angels, but they're real, just like breath. And so spirit kind of is a decent analogy for an angel, even though spirit is material. Uh, sorry, breath is material, but spirits are not. But it's similar because you can't see them. Okay. But what is that, what are the implications metaphysically? So we're not, we're not shy about digging into some metaphysics, right? So let's do that a little no, bit. No, let's do um, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So can an angel be in a place? What does it mean to be in a place, right? So to be coffee in my mug, right? Or I'm in my clothes, or we're in a room, right? Aristotle correctly uh, notes that being in a place, materially, right, is to be surrounded by the innermost surface. So if coffee's in a mug, there's an inner surface of the mug and an outer surface of the mug. To be in it, the coffee is surrounded by the innermost surface. Or to be in my clothes, I have my clothes have an inner surface and an outer surface. To be in them, I'm you know surrounded by the yeah. innermost surface, right? If you're, but in order to be surrounded like that, we call that to be in a place by circumspection, right? To be surrounded by a place, right? Uh, I'm, if you're wondering why I'm laughing, it's because <laughs> you're taking me back to Euclidean geometry. Oh, nice. You're, you're, you're talking yeah. just like Euclid, the yeah, great yeah. father of geometry. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, look, that's yeah, why yeah, you know right. philosophy yeah. is a handmaid of, of theology. Yeah. We need yeah. we use it; it helps us to understand divine revelation better, you know, and yeah. reality better. So, so, uh, so to be in a place like we're talking about, you have to be material. So that begs the question: What does it mean to be material? To be material means you are spread out. You have parts outside of parts, right? So my finger part is different than my palm, than my wrist, than my forearm, than my elbow, etc. These parts are outside of parts. They're spread out. They are extended. We talk in philosophy about the extension of parts, right? And so to be material, you have parts extended outside of other parts. Outside of sometimes just means distinct from, not, you right. know, okay? So you can have like, um, let's say your heart is in your skin, in your rib cage, but it's apart from, it's, it's, it's outside of it in the sense that it's not 
identical to it, right? It's spread out, right? My heart is not concomitant in the same place as my ribs. It's spread out. All right. <clears throat> Angels don't have par- if you're if you're if you're not material, you don't have parts. To be material is to have parts. If you don't have parts, you're not material. And conversely, if you're a non-material being like an angel, you don't have parts. You can't be spread out. So if you can't be spread out, then how are you in anything or acting anywhere? Uh-huh. Okay, so <clears throat> you can be in places and act in places, but not materially, right? So not right. by contact. So so what that means, not by material contact, not by material contact. Wait, you... You you just said two. You said you can be in places and act in places, but isn't it just that you can act in places? Well, we can we can say when we say an angel is in a room, right? Okay. Uh, and then, then what we're saying is it's what, acting. What we're though, using right? exactly. No. That's exactly okay. it. That's what Sheed says. Yeah, okay. we're okay. using the word in metaphorically. So when right. we say an angel is in a room, we don't by by the word in. We don't right. mean the same thing we mean when we say my coffee is right. in the mug or I'm in my clothes or we're in this room. Right. Uh, an angel is not material, so it can't be surrounded by the innermost surface of a body. Uh, but what an angel can do is act through its intellect and will. Intellects and wills, you can call them parts, but they're not material parts, so they're not spread out. They're not in a place. Angels, strictly speaking, are nowhere in the sense that they're not surrounded by any bodies. They transcend the material order. So they produce effects as God permits and as according to the level of their nature. Their, the, the angelic natures are in a hierarchically ordered structure, we'll talk about, I'm sure, uh, that affords them greater or lesser degrees or aptitude of knowledge and will and power, okay? So angels are permitted by God's providence and even commanded by God's providence, or demons are permitted, to interact with the material order by uh, communicating knowledge to rational creatures like humans or and or by willing changes in the material order. That could be with respect to heavenly bodies, that could be respect to phenomena like weather, and that could be with respect to inspiring you know, uh, things in the imagination uh, that could be good. The good angels inspire, uh, hey, I need to get to confession, or, or hey, I really should wake up and get to work It's <laughs> get it there on time, or whatever it is, you know. So an angel is in that place when it's right. acting. So an angel is in the place it acts. And acting would be communicating knowledge and or willing an effect to occur. Okay, so the fact that they're so intellect and will, like you said, intellect and will. I'm sorry, okay. I keep cutting off, but you no, said that's right. they're just intellect and will. Yes, and that's that's my attempt to unpack a little bit of that. Yes, they're intellect yeah, no, and I, will. I, I think that yeah. was perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So the 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 fact that so just setting some some boundaries here, the fact that they're non-corporal is a higher level of created perfection. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. Which is interesting. Very interesting because as we're going to talk about, maybe we'll get to it today. We'll see. I don't know. We're going to have to do two weeks on this, but the fall all revolves around the fact that Jesus took flesh, you know, and that they have this, I don't know. I don't know if I'd say envy or jealousy, but this, yeah. this desire to not serve flesh yeah. that they see it that That's way. That's one then, very important tradition. Yeah. Yes. And the other traditions are not necessarily incompatible with the one you just mentioned. No, no, I agree. There's several, there's several kind of insights here, multifaceted, about the fall of the angels. Yeah. So before we get to the fall, though, um, I'm really interested in hearing what you have to say about one thing in particular. The so yesterday I was emailing Dr. Hildebrand, Dr. Steve Hildebrand, your colleague, right, and and he was saying, and he made a comment. He said, "No, all created things experience time." Okay, but they don't experience time in a linear fashion like us, right? I mean, how do how do angels experience time? Like, okay, so that's wonderful. I, I'm sorry because I was on that email uh, thread, yeah, right, right, <laughs> and right, I, right. I wasn't able to get back to you, and I was thinking the same thing. I'm glad he said that to you because I was thinking when I responded, to Dave, I'm going to say the same thing because your question was, um, you know, angels are. Well, actually, your question was something about no, human about souls, souls after you souls. die, but we're, yeah, human right. souls are spirits too. So it replies to both human souls separated from the body and a- angels who are not bodily, right? Um, uh, so time is a measure of motion, physical motion, according to posterior and, and anterior, like before and after, okay? So for example, like with, a, with length, we measure it with length. We take a ruler, which is a length, 
tick marks on it, numbered, and put it against another length and measure it. With time, how do we measure that? Well, we have tick marks on, let's say, a clock, and that's measuring what? The motion of the hand that goes around sure. the clock face, yeah? So we measure motion. We, so the, this is the insight, again, of Aristotle, that we, we me, who's the father, ancient father of physics, by the way. Uh, uh, we measure something homog- with a homogenous measuring tool. So we measure length with length, weight with weight, like think of a balance, okay? Yeah. We yeah. measure motion with motion, okay? Uh, so... Uh, Angels aren't physical, so there's no physical motion. There's no before and after uh, physically. But there is a before and after spiritually. For example, the first moment of their creation, right, no angel was fallen. No angel right. was... They were all in a state of grace, okay? Um, then after that, but not in terms of physical time, like not several seconds later because there's no material motion, okay? But it was discrete. Think of it like analog versus digital, right? Time is like analog. It's continuous, right? It's a progressive, it's a progression. Whereas spiritual progression is boom, one, boom, two, boom, three, and two is after one, and three is after two, but it's not in a continuity. There's not like a, I'm gradually getting there. It's like they're creating a state of grace, then the next moment the the angels are provided with their test, and some of them fall. Boom. So the fall of the angels who did fall was after their they creation. Created. So there's yeah, a, okay. we call it the first moment of the angels, you know, and the second moment was the fall. And then, you know, there is a whole progression, right? So who, Gabriel, let's say... Who's we? Who's we, we call that? Uh, is Tom... Is this oh, when Tom's? I say we, yeah, uh, sorry. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, pretty much the entire Catholic theological tradition, not just Thomas, but the fathers who dealt with this, many of them did. Augustine dealt with this. Okay. Uh, John Damascene dealt with this. I believe John, but certainly Augustine. Yeah, it's hard to read the them, though, with, this, yeah, yeah. with the angels. And then, and then Aquinas did, Bonaventure did. And so they come up, the medievals, and even some Islamic, medieval Islamic philosophers did, although they've got some really wonky stuff. But right. they also have some decent stuff, too. It's a mixed bag. Aquinas is good at like kind of picking that out and dealing with it. And then also very clearly criticizing the mistakes. Um, some of them are very serious mistakes. But, but they came up with this term, av eternity. So there's kind of three orders with respect oh, to yes. time. Oh, yes, I'm so excited to hear right? this. Okay. Yeah, right. yeah. So the first order would be the physical order of ma- ma- continuous material motion, which is measured by time. Seconds, well, minutes, it's hours, us. days. Us. That's yeah. us. That's the material yeah. order. Okay. Material order. Us and anything else that's material can be measured according to its motion. Okay. Um, think of even primitive uh, time devices like a sundial. It's measuring the yeah. motion of a shadow around a clock, a face, a shadowed sundial face, or a sand uh, measurement, you know, uh, hourglass. It's measuring the motion of sand through an aperture right into the bottom chamber. Okay. So time is always measuring motion. Uh, but then, if you don't have motion, because you're not material, but you do have a sequence, first Gabriel was created. Then God had Gabriel do, I'm sure, a bunch of different things. Who knows what it was? We don't. I don't. But then at a certain point, he had Gabriel go to Mary, right? And then at a certain point, Gabriel's doing other things later on, all right? Uh, with with uh, Raphael, uh, the book of Tobit, uh, which is scripture, even though our bra- Protestant brethren don't accept it, it is God's word. Raphael was created. He, he, he merited eternal life because he didn't fall. He stayed faithful to God. Then later, not temporally later, but sequentially later, he was sent to help Tobit out, okay, and get a wife yeah. and get his dad's right. inheritance. Uh, and then there's a whole progression of things that Raphael did in order. Like, he didn't bind up, was it Asmodeus or whatever that demon was? He didn't bind him up first. He first told Tobit to get the liver and the heart of the fish. Then you bind up the... De- so, no, there's this... What I'm saying, Dave, is there's a sequence. What, yeah. Not what I'm saying, but what the whole tradition says. Angels have the sequence, but it's not temporal, so we call it eternal. A-E-V-E-T-E-R-N-A-L, which means they're not eternal. That's God. I mean, look, we share in God's life, so not to complicate it too much, but to make it precise, angels, and if you're saved, you share in God's eternity. But strictly speaking, and these very strict, narrower uses of these words, because there's a broader use of these words, the narrower use of these terms, eternity, right, means you are outside of time. 
all together, there's no sequence. There's no before. Okay. For God, there's no before, there's no after, there's no duration. It's not like God's like, wow, I've been here forever. It's taking yeah. a long time. <laughs> right. I'm getting bored. No, there's no time. There's no progression. There's no duration. There's no endurance of anything. You're pl- completely free of change. That's God, yeah. not you, but God is. Yeah. Angels uh, are free of material change, but they're not free... Uh, from a sequence of before and after, as they you know exercise their potencies and become perfected, right? Wait, um, wait. So, so okay. So, boy, you, you yeah, I know. There's a lot here, isn't there? No, okay. And so, these three orders are coordinated, by the way. So that's the, that's your question: is they're coordinated? So it's not like they're completely separate uh, realms. They right. are they are so because angels will interact with the temporal order in certain key so, points. So this is where it gets weird because it is weird. Okay, it's so very it difficult, weird. and I don't understand it all by any stretch at all. Well, one of the reasons, like that's one of the reasons why I never had an issue. You know, like how Origin like basically talked about like redemption of the demons. Okay, to me, it didn't yeah. make any sense to redeem them because that they, in a sense, are diametrically opposed like it's not that they were they are right i mean tell me more tell me more well well, well, okay well here here's the problem like their decision is god god is god yeah okay but god is i am who am okay so he is what are what are angels they are less they they still are. They are is. No, no, they are. No, no, this is good. I, you're expressing... I just read read, read this this morning preparing for the show. <clears throat> Aquinas says, angels have no potency to being, in a sense, okay? That, does, oh. that doesn't mean that they're not created. They are created, but once they're created, they, they don't have a potency like, like we do. They're, they're kind of created... They don't grow, a, you're saying. They don't. Well, not really, right? Not not exactly. They, they, they're created, right, like in a state of having... Thomas, at least, this is Thomas's position. It's not dogma, uh, but it's a really significant one that we should consider. That God infuses into their intellects all the fundamental things that they need to know from the very first moment of their being. So they yeah, don't really right. learn. Right. Um, a, a, a one way to access it is like this. How do we find out what's going on? Well, we have to sense it. Somebody has to tell us on the phone. Yeah. We have to hear it them talking to us. Or we have to look at it with our eyes or, or, or a combination or feel it with our hands. We have to see, how do we discover, oh, I went in and I saw that they were studying math in this classroom or something. You know, I discover it that way. Angels don't discover anything like that. They don't have eyes. Right. Angels aren't flying above, and they're like, oh, let me check out what's going on Right, there's here. no interaction between <laughs> biology and intellect. Well, there may be, but not the way, it's not the same way that bio- biological things interact with, bio- or material things interact with material things. It's different, right? So they know it because the knowledge of the specific material things that are occurring right. are infused into their intellects, either directly by God or from God indirectly through other angels communicating to other angels. And that's a way of angels infusing content into other angels. And Aquinas, this is part of why he's the angelic doctor, because he spelled out better than anyone prior to his time how angels, many among many other things, how angels communicate to each other. The higher angels communicate information to the lower angels by infusing it, infusing the knowledge from their intellect into the other intellect. Which, by the way, for Thomas, that's one-to-one. Yeah. Because every angel is their own species. Species, right. So there's all the different levels of perfection. So it's going from top to bottom, one by one. Well, that's another thing to, to talk about too. That's very important. Let's since you brought wait, up. Wait, let's, okay, wait. Can ahead, we can we stay yep. on time? You I, leave, I, us. leave okay. us. Yeah. Oh, that's all right. right. So, We're yeah. All right. So, all right. So <laughs> God. Okay. Let's talk about our time. What the way we experience time. Okay. God sees it like a tapestry. Right. He's completely outside. He knows everything that will happen and everything that has happened. Yes, but can I add something? Yeah. Uh, that's absolutely right. A uh, way Aquinas will put it is God is like standing at the top of a tower looking down on a line of soldiers or something, you know, and he sees the whole line all at once. He yeah. sees everybody all at once. But but there's something to add there, okay? Because okay. Uh, there's after Einsteinian, believe it or not, this is relevant, <laughs> after Einstein's suggestion that time is the fourth dimension, yeah. which is almost making the temporal order uh, a spatial and it's right. not spatial. The temporal right. order is temporal, not spatial. The past does not exist right now, even for God. God sees the past, but he knows it doesn't. Well, see, that's the key, right? You're thinking Einsteinianly, and that's incorrect. Yeah. 
I strongly, I can, you know, okay. strong, uh, we, uh, we should have had Hildebrand on because Hildebrand and I talk about this all the time. Or, you okay. know, we've talked about it a lot. But anyway, um, the past doesn't exist. If it did, it wouldn't be the past. God knows the past as past outside of time, right? So even though he's outside of time and sees things as it were like a tapestry or like a line of soldiers from a, the point of view of a tower, you see it all at once, it doesn't exist all at once. Yeah, okay. And God okay. knows what sliver of what he's looking at is existing at what at what okay. time. Okay. Even so though he's it... not in time. So that's that's really important. Um Okay. So then this brings me to my next question. And this question. is the limits of our ability to imagine or understand this. Our finite Yeah, of course. We're at the end here in my mind. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. I mean, like yeah. you have to understand that God sees everything at once, but he knows that everything does not actually exist at once. The future does not exist. And the past did exist, but doesn't. The future doesn't exist, but will. And the past did exist, but doesn't. The present does exist. And God knows which present is existing at which time. Yikes. Okay. okay. I, just, I said that very awkwardly. That's no, a really that was, weird way of saying I, it. I thought that was perfect, what you the, just Our, said. our okay. language and our concepts break down at this point because we're talking about the transcendent being with an infinite intellect, God Almighty. No, I, think, I think you're speaking in perfect ter- terms here and, and in, in good order. Okay. So then that leads me to my next question, okay? With regards to our time, it, it's easy for me to understand the angels knowing the past, Okay. I don't understand why they don't know. Well, never mind. Now I do. Okay. So, so, so in other words, is it like this? Maybe I got it wrong, but tell me, is this what you're thinking? Because this is kind of how I think too. Like, well, isn't it like then angels would be maybe on a lower rung of that tower so they can see, yeah, so they're kind of seeing everything. Right, right. And no, that's not right because that's not, it's not a function of being spiritual, yeah. That enables you to see the spread of 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 time. It's a function of okay? divinity. It's a function of being outside of time and being. So so here's another thing. I, let's back up a little bit. Not only do angels not d- come to knowledge by seeing stuff and discovering it, but God doesn't either. So this is just an analogy to say that God's right, looking because, at a tapestry right. or God's at the top of a tower looking at a line of people. God doesn't look strictly speaking. He doesn't have eyes. He right. doesn't discover something he didn't know before right. by looking right. at it. So right. that begs the question, how does God know things other than himself? And again, Aquinas is brilliant on this, but he's not... Now, this is not where he's a unique and does not make a unique contribution. He just repeats the contributions of fire, prior fathers of the church. Namely, God knows everything, including himself and everything he creates, uh, by knowing his own will. Right. He he wills them to be. Everything that's occurring, he doesn't just create by, it's a one-shot deal and then lets it go on its own. God creates and sustains and causes things to exist at every moment, and in the specific way in which they're existing, at every moment of their existence. So God knows by causing, and he knows himself perfectly, so he knows what he's willing, he knows what he's causing, he doesn't know by discovering it, right? So God, there's an order in God's causality. He does not will everything to exist at once, both in the material order and in the sure. angelic order. So okay. there's a sequence angelically, there's a sequence materially, and he knows what he's causing, and he's causing past, present, and future, right? Angels, uh, and he does that outside of time, kind of with one eternal act. Angels are not outside of sequence. They're outside of physical time, but they're not outside of av eternity. They're not outside of a sequence. They're finite. And so, in other words, they don't have one eternal act by which they do everything they do. God does. God has one eternal act by which he does everything uh, and knows everything, past, present, and future. Not so with angels. With angels, it's one act after another act of will, after another act of will, after another act of will. How do they know what they're doing? They know their acts of will. They know a lot of things in the created order because they're causing them with their wills. But they're not causing the future yet. So there's a real strict, there's a consensus here among fathers and doctors. uh, If I'm not mistaken, I'm open to correction. If any listener catches an error, please let me know. Uh, There is a correlation, a consensus among fathers and doctors that there's a correlation between av eternity and temporal flux, they are strictly coordinated. They're not okay. offset. You don't jump ahead or behind. In other words, there's no time travel for humans or angels. Time travel is not possible because the past just simply doesn't exist. The past, if you're Einst- if you have this Einsteinian error that I'm calling it, okay, sorry, uh, not to 
think I can correct Einstein, but if you have this error that you think the past exists, time, time is a dimension. So that means it kind of all exists at once. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Right. But if you think it exists, then oh, I can go back to the past because it's existing in some order. I can go and see it. No, it's simple. You can't. If something doesn't exist, it was. if something doesn't exist for whatever reason, you can't, you can't encounter it. Right. So for example, uh, can, you, can you go encounter my sister? You can't. She doesn't exist. I don't have a sister. Okay. Right. Right. <laughs> you, right. You, you, okay. So the, the past doesn't. Now the past did exist, but it doesn't. Right. So so in any event, the point here is that angels. Uh, the consensus is that the angelic order and the temporal order of progression of before and after are very strictly coordinated. Okay. Okay. Then. So there's me. no time travel. There's no tra- time travel for humans. There's no time travel for angels. Sorry. It's fun. Time travel stories are fun, but it's not possible. And we're not. Ref- I'm not pretending to give a full refutation of it right now. So along those lines, along those lines, okay. I I think that maybe now, after hearing what you're saying, that I am saying something incorrectly, okay. In in the talks that I give all around the country, okay. Oh no. When I okay. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna tell you. <laughs> well, it's a you know that's the problem of being a speaker and not you know I mean and a teacher. Right? I do. I've done yeah, that, right. Dave, so many right. times. Okay. Oh okay. So I explain <laughs> the irrevocable nature character of the fall in this oh, way. Of demons. Of demons. Of demons. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry, yeah. The fall of demons. Got it. I got it. Uh, I got it. Yeah. In this way. This is how I explain it. I say, look, for humans, we live in temporal time, meaning that one minute I can choose God and the next minute I can re- I, I can not choose him, and the minute after that I can repent and choose him again. Demons don't live in temporal time, so their choice is so their choice. Oh, fi- is, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, is fixed. 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 Yeah. yeah, because they are that. They have chosen that for eternity. Outside of time. Okay. Well, so listen, and listen. Now, now listen. I I know that the fathers of the church. That's not so bad, Dave. They, what you're they don't. But they don't. But they explain the irrevocable nature as no, no, because demons know the exact outcome of every single choice that they make. In a sense, and and that did not that didn't sit as well with me as yeah. understanding the fact that they're outside of temporal time. Yeah. So okay, right. So listen, you were right for the a slightly wrong reason. All right. Okay. So there could be All worse. Right. It's good okay. you got the right. You you landed <laughs> you landed on your feet. You landed yeah. on your feet. Uh, but the flip was a little bit uh, off, yeah, okay. and we'll, we'll just we'll just bring it around. Okay. So right. Um, they're not. It's not like the, if they were outside of time, like you're talking about. Like it seems like you're implying, then it's like the angel would just do one act ever, and yeah. that act would just be an eternal act. Rebellion. But that's God. That's God. That's God. Because okay. angels do have subsequent acts. Like that first act of affiliation with God or rebellion from God, uh, two thirds affiliated and one third rebelled, was one of the most important acts they'll ever do. In a sense, okay. the most important because that determined their eternal destiny. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But from that point, so to speak, on. Right, not temporally, but aveternally, uh, there is a sequence. Satan, fir- Satan, Satan didn't go after Job until after he already went after Adam and Eve. You see, so so there is a before and after for angels. It's just or demons. It's just not temporal flux. It's not a then, temporal. Then flux. what is what is irrevocable about it? Ah, good. So here's here's the account. Now again, this is not dogmatically defined by the church. Right. This There's is within the purview of orthodoxy. There's several views, but the dominant view is is again that of Aquinas. But he's not alone. Bonaventure, others hold this as well. That it's a function of angelic intellect, like you said. Uh, you were starting to get in that direction, right? Like that the angelic intellect is so powerful. I think you said it. It knows all the consequences of his actions. I think. I think at least it knows the main consequences of its actions, perhaps, if not all, because that all might be requiring omniscience, you know, like you, and that's only God. Mike, to me, yeah, it yeah. seems like, you know, like when a, when a parent like catches their kids smoking and they're like, don't yeah. you know what happens with smoking? Then you turn to drugs and then alcohol and then right. you'll end up a murderer or something right, like right, that. Right, right, right. Like, and you're like, the kid I can't, can't understand it. that, but an angel... But the parent sees it. Okay, yes, it okay. is very much like that, but it's not just consequences. Think of it like this. Um, how many times for humans? I mean, it's just just written into the human condition, man. How many times we're like, oh, I, I messed up. Either like I made a small mistake or man, I made a big mistake. And then we say, oh, if I had only known yeah. X, fill in the blank. If I had only known, yeah. sometimes it's a consequence, like how this would hurt people. But yeah. other times it's a antecedent. 
if I had only known ahead of time, like, um, you know, uh, uh, the Pythagorean theorem, then I would have, I would have engineered this differently, like made my invention differently. So sometimes it's knowing knowledge of a consequent, sometimes it's knowledge of an antecedent, but the point is it's, it's ignorance. It's our, the finitude and limitations of our human intellect just by nature. And it's even worse when we're fallen as we all are, because then we have darkened intellects on top of a finite, because by nature, our intellects are already finite. Angels are too, but ours is much more finite than angels. So we're the kind of beings where, where we can easily say, oh, had I only known this, I would never have, let's say, rebelled against God. <laughs> or, or, or does it? Angels, not so. There's no new information you can say, well, look, Lucifer, had you ever thought of this? He'll say, yeah, I did think of that. Well, okay, have you ever thought of this? And then you'll say, oh, I've never thought of that, and I would never rebel against God. No, he goes, no, I thought of that. Yeah. And there's a, you can't come up with something, hey, had you ever thought of this? And maybe that, because if, if you can come up with something like that in the intellect, then your will can say, I regret my choice. I, in other words, I repent of my choice. God, yeah. forgive me. So in other words, the way Aquinas puts it is, the reason the demons can't repent is not a defect of the divine mercy. That's yeah, yeah. Re- that's right. exactly, I just read that this morning. This is exactly Thomas's words. It is not a defect of God's mercy that they can't repent. It's because the power of their intellect is such that there's nothing that you can present to them that would make them go, I regret my choice and I repent of my choice God forgive me. And if they did it, God could forgive them. But he can't forgive them, not because of his lack of mercy, but because they are intractable due to, the, it's, it's hard to, impossible in a sense for us to fathom because we don't have intellects like this, but there's nothing you can present to them that they would, oh, if I had only thought of that, I would have done it differently. Hmm. So, so, let's, so let's make some implications here then. That means there's no regret there. Right. Okay. Just like the people in hell don't regret because they don't they didn't repent they died unrepentantly so they're okay the okay well we're getting we're getting on fifty one minutes here so but I oh my gosh I have I have a million I have a million other questions okay me me too yeah wait wait with regards to time I I have to ask this yeah yeah keep going and then we can okay okay and I want to talk more about angels but I have to ask this okay so you know it seems implicit in some of the fathers i i wish i would have found what i'm talking about here that satan for instance in the temptation in the desert that satan didn't necessarily know who this was it does seem that way right absolutely and i think there's a He's point trying to in draw the gospel, out like if you're the son of god then yeah. do this yeah. so it did the rebellion did the fall of Satan affect his intellect the way the our fall affected our intellect? Yeah, I just read this, and again, I keep talking about Aquinas, but I, I like him. He's a good guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just read this this morning. In you know what's Suma. funny about you just mentioned like both Aquinas <laughs> and Bonaventure agree. Well, Bonaventure is known as the Seraphic Doctor, you know? so it's <gasps> like right. if those two are that's agreeing, right. then why not? You know, I mean, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's pretty huge. Pretty hard to disagree. It's huge, and and that's really cool. I'm glad you said it. Just as a real side point, Bonaventure's seraphic father, and Francis is the Saint Francis the seraphic. uh, Sorry, Francis Bonaventure the seraphic doctor, and Francis the seraphic father. Father, Um, and the idea is the Franciscans are very much affiliated with the seraphic order of angels, which are the highest order, full of burning love, love the burning love, and the cherubim right underneath them are the order of a brilliant. Uh, pellucid intellect, right, and understanding of God, knowledge of God, and, and the and Thomas and the Dominicans are often affiliated with with. And that. what do we do? We turn them into a fat baby with yeah. wings that shoots people on Valentine's Day. <laughs> right, right, that's right, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but Aquinas says, um, where were we? What was that question again? I'm sorry, I spaced out. No, well, oh, uh, oh, Satan, uh, Satan. Th- th- does it? Uh, does the fall, the, the fall, fall of the demons affect their intellect? Intellect, yes. The same okay. way our fall affected ours. Yeah, yeah. So I just read this in Aquinas, and he says that um, that 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 the that the fall of I'm just trying to pull up the quote. I may not be able to because there is a sense in which Satan thought he could win, right? Like like he was murdering Jesus. Like it, there's a sense that he was trying to accomplish something there. Yes, yes. I well, okay. So listen, I can't find the exact quote, so I'm gonna I'm gonna summarize it. Yeah. Um, Thomas says yes, it does. It affects their intellect. 
in a sense, it, it they get tw- they get twisted, right? So they're perverted, uh, but they're not prone to error quite the same way we we are. Right. All right? Okay. Um, okay. But again, remember, and the Catechism is beautiful in this: angels are and demons are not God, right? They're creatures, so they're finite, and so um, even if part of the fall of Satan of Lucifer involved being told ahead of time of the incarnation. And we can get back to that at some either today or next time. Hopefully we yeah. can do this again. We can do angels yeah. again. Oh yeah. And his refusal to bow down and worship God in the flesh because he hated flesh. He hates human, you know, or he didn't before no, no, he fell, he, he despite he he saw them yeah. and it's true, in the natural order, bodily beings, even if you're rational like us, are profoundly much lower than the angels. And you wouldn't want to pervert that order, so to speak, by making the higher order honor the lower, would you? Of course, God does. And Satan's yeah. like, no, I won't do it, right? And that's one one tradition of the fall of Satan is that he refused to honor our Lord and our Lady, the Mother of God, in the flesh as creatures who are objectively higher than he is in the order of grace, even though in the order of nature they're beneath him. So he hated that, right? He didn't want to do it. Um, so, uh, uh, but you're asking about his intellect, right? Well, ha- I'm asking. Affect- I'm asking like there. There was a sense that like Satan was duped by oh, the oh, crucifixion. Right, right. That's, like, that's the okay, thing. No, he, was the trying, thing. He, right. he thought right. he could accomplish something, right? Like, and we talked about this with Hildebrand a few weeks ago. That's right. I forgot about that. Um, uh, so, so. Uh, his the fall of his uh, so he even oh, that's what I was where I was going even though he was told ahead of time arguably about the incarnation it doesn't mean he necessarily knew who would be that person so even if Lucifer even if yeah. it's true and it's a big if because it's a theory that right Lucifer we don't know what God told time, him exactly yeah, but right. if he was and I like this and I know you like it too that uh, you know he was an, the incarnation was announced ahead of time to him. Um, he that it doesn't necessarily mean he knew exactly who it was. So in the right. garden, oh no, in the desert, he made he seems like he was, and the fathers do do treat this in Matthew yeah. chapter four like this that he was uh, testing to see is this individual the son of God or maybe is it someone else? Right. Uh, so so was he duped like we see in Gibson's The Passion, right? Uh, yeah. Or or in uh, and Catherine Emmerich, which is his, which the movie was yeah. based on, right? Yeah. That uh, Satan was duped. Uh, this was the son of... He was trying to put him to death, but he turns out to be the son of God, and Satan gets hoisted on his own petard, right? Uh, he gets fooled or trapped, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that's very possible, right? I think that's very possible that he, even up to the incarnation, didn't quite know. Although it's tricky, right? Because in Matthew's Gospel especially, but others as well, synoptics, the demons are saying, we know who you are. You're the, you're the son of God, Right, but were they guessing? Okay. Maybe they were guessing. No, no, I don't think you know? that was it. I think "son of God" is a tough term to to then take the implication like, and if we kill you, you'll kill death forever. Right, you know right. what I mean? That's a big jump. right. Maybe they didn't know that either. Right, right, that's right. right. Yeah. Uh, so if okay. we put you to death, we destroy your plan to save people, not knowing yeah. that his death is the very way by which he's going to save everybody. Yeah. Whoa! Did they know, have, they know the Bible do... pretty well, and so did they not yeah. understand that in Isaiah, the, su- the song of the suffering servant, he's going to save the people by his death. He'll offer well, his no, life for the well, sins. That, I mean, so, okay, so that, that makes you know? that makes perfect sense to me because in the the fall, like the fall of their intellect would cert- like I, just interacting in, through exorcisms with demons, like they would they could never accept the idea that strength comes through weakness yeah, yeah that that you know that victory comes through death they they could never you know they would never ever be able to understand that kind of right thing. so right, yeah, right, that, right that's interesting well okay so mike we should we should uh i want to do more let's do it again yeah we just got okay we just got i almost in. feel guilty because but the thing is this is no this, this is was fast, awesome. i feel like we've only been talking five minutes i know this there's was so much awesome. to talk about angels are so wonderful thanks for you know your yeah. your ministry dave your work on angels and your talks on angels are fantastic. No, th- no this is this is great. I'm, I'm glad. And actually, I have, a, I have a webinar tomorrow night, so this prepares me very well to to, to start. When our listeners hear this, it'll that. be uh, already yeah, passed. Yeah, last but, week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, I just want to say thank you to our producer, Adam Robazzoli. Uh, we don't do anything but talk. <laughs> and it's so wonderful that Adam is able to uh, to do that. So if you've uh, enjoyed this podcast, most of it goes to – the credit goes to a lot to Adam, um, who does all the behind-the-scenes stuff. I, I'm a Luddite when it comes to technical things. So thanks thank so you, much Adam. each week. And and also, uh, if you have a question for us, we, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can email questions at theologyandinsanity.com. That goes to both Mike and I, and we will um, probably uh, include them in different episodes, or we might just do a segment at the end. But uh, one more announcement we do have coming up July. Um, shoot, Mike, do you have 15th? Up? Let me look it up. I think it's, I'm going to confirm it as you keep talking. It's July 14th, Wednesday, July 14th. At 8.15. At 8.15 p.m., PM. we're doing Eastern a live... Eastern Standard Time. Eastern Standard Great. Time. Great. We're doing a live episode uh, where we'll uh, answer any questions you have, and you'll have a chance to call in and if you want, or you can just submit questions to us. Uh, so please put that on your calendars. Uh, we'll, we'll call it Stump the Professor, you know, and, and throw Mike some, <laughs> some good questions to answer uh, just the way he's able to answer mine throughout these and things like that. So uh, please put that on your calendar. We'd love to have you join us, and as always... Please pray for us, and we will continue to pray for you. God bless you.